0: all right welcome to peeps creek the cafe where we serve you delightful slightly intense but definitely worthwhile conversations a podcast focused on bringing people together by drinking listening and conversing so grab your favorite drink and let's see what's on today's menu all right people welcome to peeps creek (laughs) this is episode 38 straight up no chaser subtitle back to blackness all right So, you know, here at the cafe, we always have a drink. And guess what? I am here by my lonesome once again, but that's perfectly fine. We're still going to keep the show rolling. I hope this is going to be a good and entertaining um, conversation, but one that you possibly can gain something from or be like, Nah, bruh, you all over the place. Um, (laughs) But what matters is, is that there is some kind of interaction in regards to, or some kind of response in regards to that. So let's see what we are drinking on right now. Boom, boom, boom. Look at that. We got us some good old water. Look at that. That is some good old ice water. Let me turn this cup around. I am drinking on some H2O. all right so welcome to the cafe so um back to blackness so why what is this topic about so basically what i wanted to do there are quite a few things that are that have happened in the news that i just felt like um that i just want to talk about um things that just resonate with me or forces me to um think a little bit um about a topic or situation and so the first thing I'm gonna talk about is coming to America. So, all right. So this movie was released on March 5th, 2021 on Amazon Prime. There was a lot of people out there before it was released saying, Oh, we don't want you to remake, leave a special, or leave a um, I don't what what was what's the word? Leave a classic alone, right? Um, and so there was angst about whether or not this was going to be funny. Was it going to be related to the other topic? Was, was it going to be something that you would want um, to say that this is like your favorite movie of 2021, right? All right. So that was released March 5th, 2021. I actually just watched it this weekend. I am recording this on Monday, um, March 15th. Um, so I just watched it this weekend, I think like Saturday or Sunday, and I'm just going to say I enjoyed it. Okay. So very briefly for those of you who haven't watched it, I'm not going to give you spoilers, but basically this is a set that's in the fictional land of Zamunda, um, with Prince Hakeem, which is played by, um, Eddie Murphy. Um, He learns that he has a bastard child. (laughs) that is in queens and for those of you who don't know what the term bastard means that means a child um, that was conceived out of wedlock. all right um he learns that he, and the reason he learns that is that king Joffrey jaffer which is his father played by james earl jones and for those of you who don't know he is mufasa Lion King for you younger people all right Uh, (laughs) but um, what beauty to have James Earl Jones in this sequel right at the age of 90 like he literally just turned 90 and I think it was January this year um, and he's still lucid he was still funny at least in my opinion Um, and even though his part wasn't super large in this particular movie it's just awesome to be able to have um that person to have him there and to play the part um but those who saw the original which was which came out in 1988 um you would know that um in the original um there was also the queen um I think it was it was played by Madge and I think her last name is Silver I forget her last name sorry I should have did a little more research on that anyhow she passed away um, she, They could have added someone else in there to recast at her, but they didn't, um, which I was very appreciative of. Um, but anyhow, and then um, Prince Ikeem and his loyal servant slash friend, Semi, which is played by um, Arsenio Hall, um, go back to Queens to try to find this bastard child. So anyhow, now, so... Um, there are a lot of people out there that was like ah this isn't funny like why did you just leave this alone like it was rushed and this that the third and leave a classic and blah 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 okay and so if you actually look on imdb and by the way i didn't even never even knew what <laughs> imdb IMDb stood for until I did some initial research for this particular um, episode, but it stands for um, Internet Movie Database. Duh! I should have known that anyhow, as of today, um, March 15, 2021, um, I think the movie has a rating of like 5.4 out of 10. So anyhow. Um, movie credits are credits um, is going to be that way but I would just say that sometimes you just can't please black folks particularly all of my friends and family on Facebook um, who kind of have their concerns about it or didn't really like the movie and quite frankly they don't they are entitled to their opinion um, but here's what I want to think I think that the movie this movie in 2021 the sequel was important for two particular reasons first of all um, or let me make two points that i think is important um for my frame of thinking and my evaluation of the movie a this ain't a remake right this is a sequel so it's a difference it's not like they are trying to remake a classic um like they've done so many times with like michael myers or jason and all of that right or spider-man lord i don't even know how many spider-mans we need right so this isn't a remake it is a sequel which i think is, is a little different and i just think the movie exuded black excellence i mean throughout the movie you think about the fact that we have primarily all of the original um actors from the 1988 movie even down to the flower girls like it, it in in the movie those little small details of all of these characters coming back in some form shape or fashion whether it's a large part small part or not i just felt like it was great that um the originals the ogs who did the initial movie are out there doing it again like who wouldn't want to see that right the other thing is it's like you had great music selection. You had African music, you had Gladys Knight. You get on Spotify, there's like eight or nine playlists dedicated just to coming to America and all of the different main characters that were there. Um, it was great artistic imagery throughout the, the movie. You think about the, the castle and the fact that part of the castle um, yes, it was created some of it from CGI, but also apparently some of those rooms were actually filmed in Rick Ross's mansion. Like, so you have someone else who, um, who, as I understand, this was one of his favorite movies, and so he was able to be a part of this project, right, um, by having some of the rooms um, of his mansion filmed as part of the inside of this of this um, castle that. Prince Hakeem, now King of Zamunda lives in right? Um, the costumes, the wedding dress, oh my God, like there was so much detail put into the artistic standpoint and there was a lot of black folks behind the scenes working on this. And so I just felt like for those reasons, like the black excellence aspect, I think is, it's very, very, very important for me, Right. And I just felt like the content of even the characters, like the things that they were going through in the movie. Right. Um, you saw character growth. There were jokes. Yes. But you also saw some of the character um, character growth. And one of the particular important aspects is the patriarchal system um, that was in Zamunda. You would see that that begins to dither away, right? Um, and you that resonates for what's going on currently, right? Um, you have the Me Too movement. You got folks saying um women are able to do just as much, if not better, than men. You have black feminism, right? Or Afroconic, um a black woman. It's is like Tina said it, who was on um, one of my episodes, I think episode 36 or something, um, right? So you saw this involvement, this growth in um, the characters, which I thought um, was pretty good. You saw strong women from the daughters to the wife, um, <laughs> even to um, the the individual who um, eventually marries the, the bastard child. And I forget his name. I should have remembered the name, but I forgot right um and then you just think about um what i learned is that um i think leslie jones and um (sighs) lunel right apparently they had issues for a while and but for the fact that they actually worked on this set together um they probably wouldn't have moved forward um, and gotten over some of their issues. I don't know if they're best friends. I think I saw an interview where Lunell said, Lunel said they're not best friends but at least they were able to get over um, the, the, the beef that they had, they had um, for years apparently. So that's just the beauty I think of, of, of coming to America. Um, and I laughed and I thought it was great. I think it's always an excellent project to have um, black folks Um, seen in in a positive light black folks growing Um, and so for me I just think that's important so that's my take on coming to America on episode 38 which is back to blackness alright so the next thing I want to talk about is um, is the legal system still failing us and when I'm saying us in this particular point, I'm talking about black folks, right? Um, people of color as well. Um, is the legal system failing us? And the reason I I bring this up is that um, I was looking at something the other day, and I saw that on March um, the fifth, or some some sometime this month, there was three individuals in New York um, who were convicted of um, capital murder, basically a double murder. Um, They were convicted in 1996. The three individuals are Rohan Boat, George Bell, and Gary Johnson. So they were accused of, tried, convicted of killing the store owner of this check cashing um, company, as well as an off-duty officer, right? Who was moonlighting, and for those of you young folks who don't know what moonlighting is, that means working like us, another job off hours right <laughs> um, there yeah so instead of just saying a second job people call it moonlighting because it's typically at night right the second job is typically at night moonlighting under the, the moon the light of the moon so anyhow 1996 they were convicted of this um this this double murder right um and they were sentenced so boat rohan boat was 35 at the time that he was um convicted and this was in 1996 right so he was 35 at the time um johnson um gary johnson was 21 at the time and then rohan boat was 19 at the time okay now, both Boat, who was 35, and Johnson, who was 21 at the time, were sentenced to 50 years in jail. And Bell was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Right. Um, and so at this particular time, the individual who was at once, one point of, in time, was crowned America's mayor. But now he's just a freaking psycho. Okay, he should be locked up somewhere, probably. Um, Good old Giuliani, right? Was the mayor of New York at that time. And during this particular time, he had campaigned or at least stated publicly um, that the individuals responsible for this murder or these murders should receive the death penalty. And as it relates, I think for Bell, the 19 year old, the prosecutor at that time initially sought um um death penalty the death penalty right and so I want I want you to 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 let that resonate for a moment right in the event that either of these individuals would have been sentenced to death right there's a possibility me sitting here today on March 25th excuse me March 15th recording this you listening on Wednesday March 17th right when it actually comes out or viewing it on March 17th, it's a possibility that one or two or three of these individuals could not be here if they were convicted and sentenced to death and the execution was carried out. So I want you to, I want that to sit for a moment, right? Think about that, right? And so this is part of the problem where Um, there are allegations of a crime. I understand that someone lost their life. I'm not shedding any kind of disrespect on that issue. But when we begin to talk about um, sentences and we begin to talk about the cases without knowing anything factually, right? Because there hasn't been an investigation completed yet. Um, I think it was very um, nascent at that particular time when it came out that these two individuals were deceased and that it was a, a crime, obviously. Um, so you you have a rush to judgment and sometimes when you have a rush to judgment, the convicted individuals in the eye um, of the public, sometimes it's, it's, it's not beneficial, particularly when you are an elected official, you're the mayor, right? So. There are a lot of things that you and a lot of different types of folks that you are allegedly representing in your mayor, I mean, excuse me, in your city. Secondly, as a prosecutor who's elected, there are certain things that you need to make sure that you understand factually about the case before you try to convict someone in the eye of the public, right? So we we, we, we kind of already have a battle there, Right. Um, but why am I even talking about this? Because they were just released. Okay. 25 years later. So convicted in 1996 in jail for 25 years. Okay. And the only reason that they are let out is because there was an investigation done by, um, the Queens District um, Attorney's Office, the crime—I think it's called Crime Integrity Unit, C.I.U. I think is what it is. Oh, sorry, Conviction Integrity Unit, C.I.U. And so, what what is this unit? This unit is a a a, a group of individuals within the District Attorney's Office who are looking at Um, the way, the manner, the means in which cases are adjudicated, right, and prosecuted by individuals who are sworn um, to uphold the law um, and prosecute crimes and criminals um, to the fullest extent of the law, right? Um, But these are some internal checks and balances about whether these systems are working, um, you know. Could, could we have some best practices that come out of it that would make it even better or things of that nature, right? So what happened? So this particular um, unit was investigating this case for about a, almost a year, right? Looking at the evidence, looking at what happened in trial, talking to witnesses, blah, 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 blah. Come to find out, hmm, wait on it, that the individuals were convicted because, right, they were convicted, but the prosecution okay, did not um, turn over evidence or they withheld evidence that were that was exculpatory in nature. So let me repeat that. The prosecution, whoever these individuals were at that particular time in 1996, right? withheld esculpatory evidence, right? And so what's exculpatory, right? What is exculpatory evidence, right? It's called a Brady violation, right? So um, the Brady, there's this famous case um, out of ooh, Maryland. Um, it is out of the Supreme Court. It is um, Brady versus Maryland. It is in um, 1960 okay so 1963 this case came out and basically what the supreme court said i'm just going to read this so that's why i'm looking at this it says that the suppression by the prosecution of evidence favorable to an accused upon request violates due process where evidence is material either to guilt or to punishment irrespective of the good faith or bad faith of the prosecution okay so listen to that let me repeat that the suppression by the prosecution of evidence favorable to an accused upon request violates due process whether evidence is material either to guilt or to punishment irrespective of the good faith or bad faith of the prosecution. That means that the prosecution don't even have to maliciously attempt to withhold evidence if it could be potentially exculpatory a to a person's guilt, in other words, saying that this person may not have been guilty of this crime, there's some credible evidence that this person might just be innocent, right? Um, Or, if it's in regards to the punishment if there is some some kind of evidence that can mitigate um the punishment um related to a crime these things should not be suppressed and why is this important in 1963 the supreme court said because society wins not only when the guilty are convicted but when criminal trials are fair our systems of the administration of justice suffers when any accused is treated unfairly okay now this was 1963 okay and remember when I started this particular sec- section of this episode I said it's the legal system on us us being black folks people of color right um and so in this particular case um th- th- this particular unit the CIU unit uncover evidence to show um, that a gang member had implicated himself in the crime, okay? Um, and one of the individuals who testified against one or two or even three of the convicted, right? Um, and who he, that witness, identified himself as an accomplice, meaning that in some form or shape or fashion, he assisted the individuals um, or individual and committing the crime, but in this case, his evidence or his testimony was that he was accomplished to these individuals um, to um, accomplish the crime. Whether that's bringing them there, whether that's acting as like a lookout, whether that's driving away, whether that's harboring them later. However, he was involved, right? But what what happened was is that there were some mental health records about this witness, which the defense was an unable to obtain, right? And why is that important? Because if a witness has um, mental, um, how, how best can I say this, if there are issues with one's mental state, right, that could presumably be evidence that the defense could use to cast doubt upon that person's story. So that when the jury When the jury members are listening to this person's testimony, they would be able to weigh how, if at all, credible this witness is to them. How, if at all, they credit this person's testimony, whether all of it, portion of it, none of it. However, but the fact of the matter is, is that it was open Um, It was left open in the courtroom that this person presumably was telling the truth. And so the defense didn't have the mechanism to attack that person's credibility, the substance of um, their communications um, in regards to what they were saying, uh, that they were accomplished this particular crime. So these things are important, right? Now, um, the defense actually made a request during the process of preparing for the trial the defense actually made a request (laughs) y'all listen to me um about information related to gang members because apparently there was some kind of communication or some kind of knowledge that presumably potentially gang members were involved right they requested this information but they didn't receive any of it in discovery now granted the CIU came out and said there was nothing nefarious from the prosecution, right? And basically what they're saying is that the prosecutors did purposely withhold, the prosecution did not mislead the defense or hide information. Um, But instead, this information happened to be in other case files unrelated to the case involving these three individuals, but related to cases involving some of these gang members Who were potentially implicated okay so in other words the evidence was there right uh (laughs) but for whatever reason housekeeping organization chain of custody um for whatever reason this evidence was not associated with or kept in contact in the file related to um either boat bell or johnson right and just think about that that's shitty right The fact of the matter is is that if as a defendant i would want the the opportunity to say "Bruh, i ain't doing this (laughs) crime that wasn't me like uh, it was this person he already implicated himself what did the uh, the police officers the investigators what did they do to find out this information right so that's what exculpatory um evidence is um it's just evidence that um can either cast doubt upon a person's guilt or to mitigate essentially a punishment. Now, that was in 1963, there have been other cases from the Supreme Court thereafter that even without any request, if a prosecution knows that information is potentially exculpatory, it is their obligation as conduits of justice makers, right? to effectively turn that information over to the defense so that the defense can use that um, and the preparation of their um, case, right? Um, So this was just particularly unfortunate that these individuals had to end up um, being in jail for 25 years. Now, um, the director of the, I'm just gonna read a statement that he came out and said, but the director of the CIU um, said, these prosecutors, excuse me, these prosecutors did not intentionally mislead the court, but we cannot ignore the fundamental unfairness in which key exculpatory evidence never came to light during the trial. The constitutional safeguards in our, just, our criminal justice system failed here. And the result um, has deprived everyone involved of the certainty and finality of justice in this case. All right. so. I'm talking about this case, so what does any of this mean? Are they exonerated? Can they sue, right? (laughs) We were like, show me the money. I'm in jail for 25 years. And unfortunately, um, whether or not they can sue is really dependent on whatever um, cause of action they think they can have. But these men are not exonerated, okay? Um, They were released, and the indictment that was initially Um, provided or held against them um, is still pending. So essentially what is probably going on at this point is that um, the investigators are picking up the pieces and trying to start over to make a determination whether or not there's sufficient evidence to maintain um, these individuals. So basically, um, yes, they removed the charges as of now, but they're still pending, so they're not exonerated. In other words, they're not found innocent okay so that's like that's a difference um um exoneration is i ain't do this and y'all know i ain't do this and so now y'all correcting the record right um but right now the indictments are still pending so it, presumably um they could um be charged again and tried again right um and so what what happens is, or what happened in this particular case, is that all three men um, are out on their own recognizance. So they're on a recognizance bond. And so basically, what a recognizance bond in almost every jurisdiction that has them says this: Look, I'm telling you, I'm gonna be there for trial. Let me out, bruh, so I can go and be in society, right? So my word is bond. Is that that's kind of where that thought process come from what I'm saying, right? Cause in bond is saying, I'm giving you my word. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be there. So there's absolutely no reason for me to give money or any other kind of guarantee other than my word. And so you let me out as a result of that. All right. So that's where we are. But yeah, it's like time and time again, we are coming across people who were falsely accused, folks who were in jail just waiting and waiting and waiting right and so this is a great segue to another issue that i want to talk about and the this portion is i i entitled it you got money sometimes that means you get freedom okay (laughs) (laughs) if you got money (laughs) sometimes that means you get freedom all right so why what am i talking about right for most individuals who are in the legal profession or even come in contact with the legal system, whether that is a witness in a a trial, you go and you have been charged with something, you're on parole, you have some kind of connection to the legal system, right? Um, I think inevitably and without fail, most individuals, um, some do not feel this way, but a lot of individuals feel that the concept of cash bails are a problem. And it's inherently a problem, right? Because disproportionately it impacts people of color, particularly um, African-Americans, Hispanics, and folks who are lowered in the socioeconomic scale, right? Or um, their economic status um, is low. They're in poverty. They just don't have the money, right? Um, and so one of the cases that I that always brings me back to this concept of cash bells. And why I think I think that they are fundamental, fundamentally problematic for various reasons. Um, but folks sit in jail not because they have been convicted. They sit in jail because they don't have money, right? And if you don't have money to to post bail, whatever that amount is, then you can't get out, right? You think about some of these folks who were um, charged with some horrific crimes, right? But because they're millionaires or their family is well off, they can be out on bail preparing for their case. And I I think I've said this multiple times, being able to be out and truly prepare for your case gives you an advantage um, for your defense versus someone who's cooped up in jail, who has to abide by when the person can be seen, visiting hours, how long they could be on the phone call, right? Yes, lawyers can go in and have a little longer time with their their clients, but that's a drag. That's a hassle. Like, I'm in jail. I don't have the wherewithal or I don't have the benefit of having my documents I don't have the benefit to talking to Julie down the street who saw x y and z and because I have a relationship with her she's going to talk to me so that I can give you information my lawyer so that you can go and investigate and prepare for the case right so if I'm behind bars without being convicted at this point um the ability for me to um, prepare for the defense of my case is limited and reduced. Um, and one of the cases that that I that that's fundamentally um, ridiculous that we, we even have to talk about this case, but it is also sad that this individual is no longer here, right? Uh, but that's Khalif Browder, right? You've um, sh- we've talked about this on one of the episodes, the thirteenth episode, right? Um, but Khalif Browder was an individual, a young guy in New York who was accused of stealing the backpack. Now, I, to this day, I don't even know what was allegedly in the backpack, whose backpack it was, where this backp- backpack was allegedly stolen from. But this is also an issue with shoddy police investigation, rush to judgment, or individuals who are... Um, implicitly biased against individuals because of the way they look, because of their background, or because of who they hang out with, right? Um, Putting that aside, he literally sat in jail for three years. Had no trial, right? And I want to say at one point, there were no true charges against him, right? Um, Set in jail for three years because he could not afford the $3,000 which was his bail. Now, Okay, some of you are saying, "Well, um, well, why de- couldn't he just go and get a Bells bondsman?" We'll talk about that too, right? Fundamentally, about how disproportionately um, impacted people of color are, even with that system, which I think is predatory, right? Um, and I think there have been quite a few store um, studies out there to show that Bells bondsmen. And I would tell you this: I guarantee you're not going to see a bail bondsman. Um, in Hollywood Hills or wherever um, or an affluent community because inevitably they are on the street corners in urban cities, right? Or low impoverished areas, right? I remember in Detroit, there were uh, Bells, bondsmen. I don't know how many of them, especially um, near the courthouse. In Albuquerque when I used to um, live in Albuquerque they were in um, downtown Albuquerque right by all of the courthouses because they know these are potential clients. I'm going out here, getting my car. Hey, you need a bail bondsman? Come see me, right? Um, but he didn't have the money um, to get out. Eventually, those charges were dropped. You hear that? Drop, meaning nada. <laughs> they didn't have anything. He should have never been there in the first place. Um, and then two years later, he committed suicide. He endured so much while in prison um and even when he came out um that he ultimately determined to to take his life so um it's, it's sad that that we even have to talk about him in that light right we should be talking about how bright he is we should be talking about how artistic he is we should be talking about all the good things that he was doing we should be talking about how awesome his smile is we should not be talking about him in the past tense um because of a system that is that is allegedly supposed to be set up for the fundamental point of seeking justice right um we shouldn't be talking about him um relating to this but unfortunately we are this is just the system that we're in right now back to this cash bond right you have the money if you had the three thousand dollars you can pay it be gone right that's collateral right you once you get to court you go to court whatever you get your money back right as long as you so the difference between a with bond and a cash bond is that instead of me just giving you my word that i'm going to be there i need to put something up as a guarantee that i'm going to be there and if i don't show up whatever i put up can be taken right that's why some families homes are taken because the individual with whom they love right the person that they love they put up their home to get the person out that person doesn't show up and so their home is taken okay now back to a Bells bondsman um so um well before we get there i want to talk a little bit about some of the studies right in regards to um cash bells. Uh, There have been several studies to show that there are a large number of people just sitting in jail waiting. I think I already said that, but they're just waiting for a trial. Some waiting for pre-trial. Some waiting for the actual trial. And the only reason that they're they're taking up space, running up the numbers in jail, right, is because they just don't have the funds to get out, right. Um, and then that. That segues or perfectly goes to the fact that bail bondsmen come into the picture, right? What What's a bail bondsman? It's a business, right? Um, people say you got 10%, right? You've heard that typically it's 10%. You put in 10%, um, put up 10% and the bail bondsman will guarantee to the court that you're going to show up, right? And if you don't show up, then that bail bonds, that bail's bondsman is obligated to pay the system, right? Because you didn't show up. If you do show up, they're fine, right? This is how they make their money because that 10% that you put on, you don't get back. It doesn't matter whether you are um, rendered gu- guilty or innocent, that's money that you've lost. So if your bail is $35,000 and 10% of that is $3,500, you just pot you just lost $3,500 no matter what right win lose or draw but the part that people are doing are trying to get people out is so that they could legitimately prepare for the case and they don't want their family members just sitting in jail and quite frankly um, studies have shown particularly in individuals in lower impoverished communities a lot of these individuals who are in jail are the breadwinner for that family right so if you're in just in jail sitting you can't make money for the family so we need to get you out right and so what does this do that means that families who don't have the wherewithal to technically pay they start asking family members right they start asking friends right and Bell's bondsmen are famous for this and i think there's also a study to show that um there's kind of this um psychological game that they play um where it's like you know you know, can you ask your mom? What about you know your mother or your 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 girlfriend or your boyfriend or your fiance? They're not going to want you to stay here. Just ask them. They can ask their extended family, right? So it's just this rolling effect of all these individuals getting wrapped up and to getting money to give to the bail bondmen, so these individuals can get out, right? Um, so it's a cyclical um, system um, that is fundamentally flawed. And problematic for particularly individuals of color. Um, and um, there's a study to show um, that black women take the brunt of a lot of the, these these ten percent bail bondman gigs because um, they don't want their their son, daughter in jail sitting. They don't want their boyfriend, wife, whatever cousin brother sitting in jail and again these are people who are breadwinners for that particular family so they need to be there right um and so they take on that that stress on their shoulder right um so it's just it's just fundamentally an issue um and okay so i know that you you probably said okay well that's left up to the states and they can do blah 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 right all right now we've heard two almost three years ago california was going to get rid of cash bills. Actually, it was a bill that was that went through the legislature. Um, it was signed by the governor and the people and the power to be reached in there and snatched it, right? They had a referendum. It was like, nah, bruh, we, <laughs> we ain't doing that. Cash bells are here to stay, right? So even though that law passed, California technically um, it's not in effect because there was a referendum on it. Um, so they did not get rid of it right now. The city of San Francisco, I think as early as February, there was a new district attorney who was assigned to that particular city. Um, and that district attorney came in and was like, now nah, we're not relying on cash spells at all. So the city, um, stopped using cash bail. Um, but other places in california um still using it right so california isn't doing it um isn't getting rid of cash spells um but the only state to actually get rid of it the first state to get rid of it is illinois right illinois recently passed sometime this month um uh omnibus bill that's basically a big bill with a whole lot of different things in it and you you pass it with a particular voting strategy and you can't really have all these, um, debates about it, right? There are some rules related to it. Um, and so that's why a lot of these things pass, um, and these, I'm in these bills because you know, appropriation, um, bills are in there money being exchanged, blah, blah, blah. Right. In this bill, um, was the fact that they are eliminating cash spells throughout the state. So there's the first state. Um, to actually take some concrete action, um, effective action um, to uh, combat what has been considered um, a criminal justice issue. Um, and this was sort of like a criminal justice reform, right? Um, and not only did they get rid of cash bells, right, but they also have other things in there, mandatory um, body cameras, right, worn for, our, for the officers in the state of Illinois. Um, they're setting standards on the use of force in the police department. They're de- doing de-escalation and arrest techniques so individuals understand who are um, law enforcement um, understand how to communicate with individuals. There are individuals who have mental issues, and we already know and heard and seen in the news all these folks who've been uh, restrained, inappropriate, killed, who are um, who have mental issues. And because our officers sometimes are not trained to recognize, understand, and de-escalate, it causes an escalation with individuals being harmed um, or, or <clears throat> some folks, unfortunately. Um, killed right and I just want to read um, one of the things that the governor Illinois governor said in passing this what he said it says that this legislation marks a substantial step toward dismantling the systematic racism that plagues our communities our state and our nation and bring us closer to true safety true fairness and true justice and then he said In the middle of a brutal viral pandemic, I think this is great, this quote, that hurt black people and brown people disproportionately. Lawmakers fought to address the pandemic of systemic racism in the wake of national protests. Think about that. Our folks in Washington couldn't get nothing done relating to this, right? Uh, But this state Decided to do what it needed to do to address issues that impact um, folks throughout. Um, and I just thought that it was great to talk about this, um, particularly cash bails, because they are fundamentally problematic. All right. All right. So I'm sure you all heard about those two George law, Georgetown law students, excuse me, professors who were on a Zoom call. They, I don't know how the Zoom call was recorded, but basically um, one of them, one of the professors was talking about how the black folks or her black students are inevitably the lowest in a class and they cause her angst that they're there. There are some good ones, but there are a lot of them that's just not And I'm like, oh my God, we are in 2021 at an institution that is supposed to be a a pillar, right? in the legal profession. And we have individuals, adjunct professors Having these conversations, not about how do we move the needle to ensure um, fundamental fairness in the way that um, the law school system is set up. They're talking about a group of individuals, black folks, right? Being at the bottom, right? Um, And it's just fundamentally problematic that we are here in 2021 still talking about this because they think blacks are at the bottom of the damn barrel, Okay. Perhaps your teaching sucks, right? <laughs> Perhaps you don't understand um, diversity and inclusion, right? Um, because maybe some of your teaching practices don't speak to the folks that are in, in your room, right? And if you, particularly if you're a mediator, right? That's the, she's teaching negotiation, mediation, you would think that that's what she would be able to do, read the room, understand what's going on, and and go forward with that. So. Um, ultimately one of them was terminated. The female, she was there for 20 years. God rest. uh, It sucks that um, potentially this was going on for 20 years, right? Because if you're having this conversation in 2021, um, I find it very difficult to believe that in the process of grading um, papers and this, that, and the third that um, implicit, excuse me, yeah implicit bias biased in weigh in and maybe you negatively impacted students because of that right the other professor was placed on administrative leave as they were um, going to continue to investigate it but ultimately the other day I think he resigned um, in the midst of the investigation so you know some folks still think blacks are at the bottom of the barrel but guess what we not at all at all people all right so that was the episode episode 38 back to blackness um straight up no chaser episode black back to blackness all right so i'm your host sean here at peeps creek cafe remember that you need to continue to drink listen and converse tell a friend hey if y'all have topics you want us to cover, you have, uh, you you know, we talk about crime here too a lot. If there are some crimes that you want us to talk about cover or you want to um, come on, be my guest, reach out to us. Our contact information um, is in the notes of every episode. All right. Until next time, peace and love.